Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Hey, I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. I really want us to fuck up so that Ryan, when someone's missing, we just say that person's name and then just back it up from there. So the last person just doesn't say Brent Wingate at all. Oh, I legitimately almost <laughs> I said. I wanted you to be Ryan. I wanted Brent to be I nothing at all. I almost jumped in second and I almost said Ryan. <laughs> so I don't even I know. I saw you stop. I don't know what the fuck I was even thinking. All right. So anyway. So for the listeners, yeah, who have, who have just listened to this and aren't quite <laughs> sure what's supposed to be happening. What's happening? <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, so this is Class X. And Class X is the crash course on comics history that helps you look like you're the smart one when talking about the latest superhero issues, TV, and movies. So we should think of this whole thing we're about to suffer through as being like a long Clark's got something. So everyone knows what that is. Be prepared, because this won't go well. Anyway, Watch out, is- everyone. Oh, yeah, watch out, everyone. This is called... Class X, who has empath? I did all of this. So you're going to listen to a lot of complete nonsense. I wrote too much and I'm going to shorten it as I go through it. Because so this is going to go well, everybody. Hopefully, a lot of people listen to this because it's going to uh, suck. Who has empath? <laughs> <laughs> who we're, has now, we're, we're going to retitle it Who has empath? <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell is that? yeah all the, you know what we're gonna get through some spelling mistakes too this is gonna be great all right anyways this month we're talking about that jerk spaniard known as empath who is he why is he a shithead why is clark still attracted to him barely <laughs> seen since 1988 empath is now thriving in zeb wells hellions comic series acting as per usual the resident dick of the team to celebrate under clark's month-long drive to feature him in class x we at Homo Superior now present Class X Empath, <laughs> wherein you learn about all the times he's been a garbage guy and the few times he's been not quite as garbage guy. So here, let's start with a prompt. Everyone, please describe Empath in one word. And then after that, describe what Empath thinks about himself in one word. Uh, K- Kaylin, go. Uh, r- rapist is how I would describe him. What does he think about himself? Uh, the best. I All say right. asshole and tragic. Asshole, and he, he thinks himself as tragic. Oh, well, it's like only because I read tragic. Hellions right before this, and I was like, there's the whole idea of like his childhood stuff, which I was like, uh, oh, he's probably sad about that. All right. Uh, I'd say uh, unlikable, and he would say lovable because he's forcing you to say lovable. Yes. <laughs> Please right, let this not in. be a, a secret game of like what people think of you and what you think of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all say what really we think awful. of Kaylin. Let's all tell her what we think horrible. of Kaylin. I don't like that one. All yeah. right, let's start off. Manuel de la Roca. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think that is correct. Empath. Little is known about his childhood, although we will learn something later. Um, he's from Castile, Spain, and constantly big ups his roots of Spanish aristocracy and ancient Roman heritage. His family has a plane. That fact you <laughs> must know. The big messed up loser guy first appears in New Mutants 16, written by Christopher Claymont, with art by Sal Buscema, and continues to appear throughout Claremont's run, after Louise Simonson writes, writes him out of the book. 
Uh, most of his Hellions teammates get straight up murdered. Empath appears sporadically popping up for one issue, one page, or even one panel. All right, issue number one. And by that, I mean New Mutant 16 <laughs> and 17. Enter the Hellions. All right. Here's when you're going to have to listen to me and suffer. Emma Frost has kidnapped Kitty Pride, and for some reason, Doug Ramsey, even though no one knows he's a mutant yet. It's up to the New Mutants, who are the second generation of Professor Xavier's students, to rescue the pair. With new members Magma, more on her later, and Magic, the team teleport into Emma Frost's Massachusetts Academy. They do a good job at taking out Emma's goons until they boneheadedly decide to split up, and that never does anyone any good. Emma Frost has her mutant team of her own, the team, the Hellions, who are Empath, Warpath, Roulette, Jetstream, and Tarot, and the purple cat Emma found in a dumpster, Catline. <laughs> <laughs> the Hellions are there to fuck them up and fuck them up they do. Roulette makes Sunspot strain his back. <laughs> Empath appears on the stairs and he uses his mind powers. And then I realized when I wrote this, I hadn't explained what the hell his powers were. So, oh, we didn't tell you his mind powers yet. He can mind control magma and cannonball. So, Empath, so, yeah, here you go. This is going to be great. So Empath has the mutant ability to sense and manipulate emotions on a scale from subtle manipulation to full-on mind control. Now we learn that. Jetstream and Empath get into an aerial fight, and Empath makes Magma shoot her magma powers at Cannonball, but she accidentally hits Jetstream. And none of this matters because Emma Frost shows up and just takes control of all of them. And then in uh, 17, Jetstream clobbers Empath with some casually racist call-outs, including Arab. <laughs> Empath, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing about it, Arab? It's very nice and good. Oh, thank you. Empath uses his abilities to force Jetstream to apologize. Uh, Emma Frost tells him to quit that shit. And they both, Empath and he, internally, I mean, Emma Frost and he, internally see that each other. But Emma thinks he's both perfect Hellfire material and a perfect per person for her to murder. Later, Ru Roulette wears a sexy lacy nighty while everyone else is in pajamas. That also needs to be mentioned. The other stuff happens that's not empathy and the new mutants go home. <laughs> so, hey, what do you think about empaths so far in these two issues? How is his introduction? What kind of a freak mess is he? Well, I'll say he definitely uh, comes out strong as a racist. I mean, yeah. that uh, you throw in one slur and you immediately hate the guy. So good, good characterization there. Yeah, straight up. Kalen. Kalen. So uh, taking just one little step back, I wanted to talk about the original Hellions because yes. unlike the X-Men, the New Mutants, they decided to not have like true antagonists, but more rivals, even though they're under Emma Frost, who was then, you know, a bad guy. Uh, with the Massachusetts Academy. So I really like that they had set up like this like rivalry, even though some of them, like there's some attraction, there's some friendships. Um, I even remember like Cat's Eye because you mentioned Cat's Eye in our very first episode ever, yeah. uh, Clark. Um, but having empath so on there was important because you needed to have somebody who was the worst of the worst. Like okay. having somebody who could like, you know, be separate from the sort of like, it's a like you know gray area of a lot of hellions you need somebody who was completely unabashedly amoral and evil mm -hmm. and that's that's the impression i got uh from him I, yeah no i uh it's funny because <clears throat> having really only met him in hellions number one which i know is our last thing that we'll kind of get to but 
going back and reading this like yeah somehow he's actually more of an asshole in these issues than he was in like a zeb wells comedy driven like mostly like i don't know i, I don't think everybody's queer coded but like everyone certainly has a lot of sass but empath is just actually a shitty person in this it's like he uses his powers for evil he's an evil asshole racist person it just uh you know i think in general the writing nowadays feels a little bit more stiff because it's obviously a lot of like thinking and you know it's not as snappy but uh i i found him to both be entertaining and i think it was very cool because i had never really read new mutants and certainly had never really heard as much of the hellions until more recently even the the cast resurrected on krakoa um and i think you're right kayla he stands out clearly as there's a rivalry situation but he is obviously like a person who would break bad the most whereas you know thunderbird or other folks are just there to kind of like they're feeling angsty, but they're not like obviously evil people necessarily, Brent. I do want to add that I'm really, you know, not having read any of this prior Hellion stuff, I'm very impressed that all of them stuck with the super gay Olympics figure skater outfits <laughs> as the standard uniform. <laughs> I love them so much. It's yeah. really atrocious, but it's so audacious that I love it. <laughs> So yeah. Um, yeah, we just talked about the racism aspect, but um, I, and I had a question about that and a question about the other one you already kind of brought up. But why and why is it that, I guess more of a, which Hellion, what, what Hellions intrigue you in this? Besides him, who in the first two issues really gets like, boom, real character. Besides, yeah, Kaylin, I know one, but. Well, for me, it's um, looking at the cover for New Mutant 17, I remember seeing it even in back issues. Like I was too young when it was on uh, uh, on newsstands uh, or in comic stores, but like the cover of like Jetstream and Cannonball like zigzagging each other, like completely intrigued me. The character of Jetstream, rereading it, he's just kind of, I mean, he's kind of bland. <laughs> yeah. He's bland. He doesn't really have much of a personality, but I think, the memory of seeing his power just made it like so it's just one of those iconic covers that just sort of sticks with you and then when i w looked at it again i was like it brought back all these memories of looking at that issue the thing that makes me laugh the most is the two other people that really stand out for me is cat's eye and tarot but only because a their powers are kind of cute and interesting but more importantly they just have catchphrases if I have to hear Mam sell one more time, I'm going to fucking throw myself out of a window. <laughs> uh, and then Cat's Eye in general is just so, anytime someone has like a different speech pattern in a comic, it's always like, they're so much more authentic in terms of how they communicate. And they could be, they have to be so much more direct and to get across the character. And I think it works because I'm like, oh, I can see why you liked her, like her so much. Like we've talked about her since we started this podcast. Because I'm like, oh, Cat's Eye. Like I was like, <laughs> Emma Frost found her in a dumpster and she's slowly learning English. Oh my gosh. I do think that, and especially Thunderbird as the leader, obviously has built-in history with the X-Men yeah. uh, and General Xavier, Xavier and everything like that. Uh, so, but Roulette, I will say Roulette and Jetstream as like a new reader. Yeah, they're non-existent. I, it took me until halfway through reading our, all these issues to realize what Roulette's powers actually were of her like <laughs> her good luck and bad luck discs. I was like, Maybe. wait, no, that's what she does. I was having a hard time keeping track of who she was and where she was. Rereading her, I didn't realize that I enjoy roulette. Like it was she's fun, kind, yeah. 
she's the most i don't know she's the most if any of them are villainous of besides him she's definitely the most just in a very calm way yes kaylin uh i just want to talk a little bit about 16 specifically because uh having kitty yeah. in there even though she is not a new mutant you know like there was a whole thing of whether she's going to be a new mutant or part of the x-men they kept her with the x-men but seeing that like a early relationship with her and emma is a really nice contrast to see where that relationship yes. has evolved in Marauders. So, um, you know, true. like clearly, like I've read the her first appearance in Dark Phoenix Saga over and over again, but reading this again, which I hadn't done in a very long time, was like just a nice, like another step in that evolution. And her haircut is n a never ceasing issue. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's my all God. over the yes, place. Yes, Farrah Fawcett, come on. Oh my God. I love it. Hey, have you seen a Gen Z kid lately, Brent? That's what their hair is like. That's the style middle of the parts times. everywhere. Middle parts everywhere. It was coming back. So should we go on? Let's yeah, go on. I did. No, I like the question of the discussion guy though of the hell like with empath as a hell like who would be the person? So you know you're thinking like yeah. Tarot has magic, Cat's Eye has Wolfsbane, Jetstream has Cannonball. I mean, it has to be Danny, right? I mean, it, it has to be Danny, even though she doesn't like, to, and it, it's partially because she doesn't like to use her powers, even though, you know, she gets upset when she's using her fear-based powers. Kaylin? I was actually thinking Karma. Oh. But the, but the problem, the, the reason I didn't use that is because Karma's not on the team right now. She's not on the team at the time, correct. I didn't but like think if you, that they ever meet. They might not have ever met, but I mean, like, Karma's powers is like she, um, you know, she, yeah, like she has the ability to take possession of the minds and process the emotions of people and animals, which is like, wow. it's very like anal mm -hmm. analogous, excuse me, to uh, to what Empath has. No, that makes sense. Yeah, so Emma Frost like kind of wanted to have her own karma, but according to everyone at the current time, she's dead, even though she's not. What's funny yeah. to me how stupid I was. I only thought Jetstream and Cannonball were really the only analogs. For some reason, everyone put Cat's Eye and Wolfbane together until that. They're always like, together. I don't know. I was just. It wasn't until like another time they worked together that I was like, "Oh right, yeah, they can both transform into animals." And they're just like walking they, around they sniffing each other's buttholes. It's like, "Oh, I like you. You seem great." Who is this? Pretty, pretty. She seems fun. I didn't read. Have you read the issue where they get naked together and then they go out into the moon? Like, oh, it, that sounds amazing. Because because <laughs> Empath was only in literally one page of it. Oh, okay. I should we should have done just like straight up Hellions one. But anyways, so let's go on now. We're actually going to have an X Men issue instead of New New Mutants issue. So X Men one ninety three ties with New Mutants twenty six, and according to me, New Mutants forty three. This is wherein Empath makes the world hate the X Men and gets his ass beat on multiple occasions. So when Warpath of the Hellions, who's, as we just said, the brother of the X-Men Thunderbird who died in the first mission with his team, um, just, Warpath decides to enact vengeance against the X-Men and Professor Xavier in particular. So he doesn't want them to help, but Empath shows up being a dick and he and Roulette and Firesar decide to help out. And by help out, I mean they fuck it all up for him. Warpath <laughs> captures the X-Men. Banshee ties him up under the North American Aerospace Defense Command Airport. And in the Blackbird, Empath tries to control Xavier, but is defeated. As you'll see, that happens quite a bit. But then Roulette executes him, and Empath enters NORAD and just controls every single fucking person, forcing the NORAD leader to, to try to kill all the X-Men. And then, Nor not, uh, excuse me, not Northstar, Nightcrawler to violently attack all the NORAD agents. 
and tries to control Wolverine, Wolverine, but then passes out from fear when Wolverine threatens death and Empath presumably pisses himself. <laughs> also, at one point, his mind controls, he mind controls Firestar to kiss him, which, as the Spaniards would say, is no bueno. Roulette? <laughs> Roulette thinks Firestar is a drip who deserves it, so she's clearly a feminist. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and in New Mutants 26, Empath appears for all of three pages. So for our purposes, nothing else matters. Emma Frost is fucking pissed as fuck at Empath for his fucking X-Men run-in. Of course, his actions made the government acknowledge the X-Men as villains, so didn't he do something good for Emma's cause? So why are you so mad? Anyways, don't speak uh, to a De La Roca like that. He tries to use his powers to make her love love him, and it seems to work, except she's faking it. She tells him what's what and puts mental blocks in his brains so that he's unable to access his powers, which, like, 10 issues later, it doesn't matter, and they kind of ignore that whole part. All right, in New Mutants 43, even though we don't see it, Empath has royally mind-fucked X-Men associates Sharon Friederlander and Tom Corsi, who, as we know, are white people in the body of Native Americans because that's how Claremont wanted to do it. The New Mutants are none too pleased. They decided to teach him a lesson. Empath, meanwhile, is making a little girl's friends hate her. (laughs) The New Mutants get him him in a sleep, sending him to hell, throwing him against Warlock, who's just a big wall of spikes, wrapping him in their goo fingers. But Cypher won't punch him. So he just says, suck a dick, bitch. Empath is sad and scared and says he's sorry. But the second they leave, he says, no one can do that to a De La Roca. So Warpath punches him in the face and tells him he's awful. Uh, All right, can questions. I, can I just Here. say that your narration is so great that you're literally like, you're questioning your own dialogue that you wrote for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly editing parts as I'm going Why through. are you so mad, Emma? <laughs> no, that was, per- that was perfect. That one, I didn't say Emma for that. Why are you so mad? <laughs> All right, here's, and that, this is the section where we talk about what Caitlin talked about first. Here's the place, the place where we talk about mind control and consent and sexual assault and rape and Claremont's love of these things. This is impasse one. This is actually true. His one purposely physical moment, like the kiss between the two of them, um, between he and Firepath. And what, what of it? And let's hold off the magma stuff to later because we're going to talk about magma stuff a lot. So let's talk about all of this, you know, Clearly, in so many cases in X-Men comics, in comics, their mind control is this weird sexual consent issue that runs throughout the whole thing. And just mind control in every sort of situation in fiction. Like how, what's Emma has place in it? How do we roll with this whole mess? And how does this affect the character clearly going forward? Adam. Uh yeah, this uh, it's it's hard to write a character like Empath and make them villainous enough without using like real life bad situations to become even worse kind of idea. Um, and it's funny, I was gonna say I would have loved if we left it in the '80s, but then I did remember that Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, which I guess is '80s related, also plays with this kind of like body swapping consent. All like I just don't know what the fuck all this obsession was in the '80s over this shit, but like. I'm glad they haven't they've done they haven't done much with it on his character new because yeah it really needs to be left uh, left to the I don't know the dogs the pigs whatever just fucking kill it it's just, this is ridiculous Kalen so um, yeah Clark kind of mentioned in his question this is a theme that Claremont really liked to go back to if you remember the Dark Phoenix saga when 
Jean Grey is uh, becomes the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. It's due to Jason Wingard, aka Masterminds, you know, manipulation of her, um, and it leads to Phoenix becoming Dark Phoenix, uh, even though that wasn't really Jean Grey as we know through a retcon. But he likes repeating this stuff. I will give Claremont at least the benefit of the doubt that he's doing it with villainous characters and not with heroic characters. Right. So there's at least that like kind of like this is not a good thing. The funny thing about all of this to me, to a certain degree, is like Firestar is the victim here, right? So Firestar is like Harley Quinn and like other characters where her origins wasn't in a comic book. It was in an animated series. It was Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That's where she first appeared. And if you were a fan of Spider-Man and his amazing friends probably as a kid, and you wanted to read her comics, and then you went to like (laughs) Uncanny number 193... And like and and read some of these new mutants issues. It's like, whoa, this is like really really adult stuff. I mean, which happened all the time in Marvel comics, but like, like her first appearance was like a very in comics. Firestars that is was a like her like a four issue miniseries, which was very like, you know, wasn't great, but it was very like kid friendly. And like this was like some really heady heady <laughs> shit. Clark, Kaylin, it wasn't friend kid friendly. Emma Frost murders her horse butter rum in it and murders the guy who's actually interested in helping her. That's the issue. That's I always talk about that. I always talk about poor dead butter rum. No, oh, that's yeah, but oh. you know, a horse is a horse is a horse, of course. Um go ahead. Adam, Adam, uh, I forgot. Uh Emma Frost murders her horse butter rum is my Manchurian candidate phrase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I think there's something interesting about uh, a character like Empath, who, you know, up to this point, I think it's one interesting that he's relatively clearly defined as being like an asshole, independent of his powers. Um, everyone thinks he's just a jerk, but like artistically, he is all over the map already. Like I don't recognize him every time I see him, <laughs> but yeah. I think that like there's something about these kind of like psychic emotional powers that you know they they invite the question of you know what's consent what's not and I guess for a character like empath I think like well I don't want to get ahead of myself on the the question but because there's stuff in Hellions that I think is interesting but there's like an alternate universe for a character like this where they're like a good person and they're actually helpful. And it's kind of weird to have the questions about consent come up in a group of people who you're ostensibly not supposed to be as your favorite, but you're also not supposed to hate. Like the Hellions, if if you push Empath to the point of him actually committing sexual assault uh, with his powers, he has to become a villain. Because then otherwise, all that weird stuff about the other Hellions kind of trying to defend them, unless it's some criticism about institutions and how people can be protected within them, it becomes really weird and becomes really hard to like any of the other characters or follow the narrative without it being addressed. Um, it becomes this kind of hangover uh, that will exist. And you're, you're walking a very fine line, I think, in writing something like that. Adam? All I was going to say is, uh, it's funny, as you're describing it, I'm like, oh, yeah, he kind of mostly just uses, like, Jedi mind tricks almost, right? It's like you're waving people to think about or feel a certain way. I was just thinking of, like, who does control 
emotions and power sets and you know we mentioned karma but it's like there are people that certainly can use this power for good or at least use it on a more conservative basis so that it's about and it's used for the right purposes as opposed to just a constant way of living because reversely the even eviler eviler side is a lot of uh what is it the purple man from jessica jones right like i think he it's not the exact same power set but it's pretty similar of like i give you a command you will do it and like that was proven time and time again that he was like really a disgusting awful person kind of idea um and so it's there is a spectrum of people with these powers um Kalen? yeah um so there is a character who's not a mutant but has powers like this and i've talked about it before on podcast it's Star Fox, who is um mm-hmm. you know one of the one of the one of the titans he's thanos's brother actually in canon and his power is um it's like super charisma so it's almost like he is manipulating people's emotions around him. And so like whenever, like he's ostensibly straight. And so whenever like a woman gets, you know, is attracted to him and, you know, is, um, ends up having relations with him. Like, is it, is it consent or not? Because is she manipulated because of his, of his powers? Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I, I think there's a really interesting conversation there. Um, and he's sort of like to you, to your, to your, question or point adam like the, the quote-unquote good version of it but it's still kind of kind of creepy and cringy at the same time oh yeah totally well, especially when it's all male characters right there's very few besides like poison ivy there's very few female characters that they tend to give more of these powers to and they're usually like seductress types as opposed to just like an oh, yeah. or someone who uses it for utility purposes i mean the, um, the enchantress is is a rapist she's done everything in the world to thor that's true. There's a ton of female characters. That's the first one I can immediately think of that's blatant. Well, I'm there just glad it's equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> yeah, there's the girl in uh, Umbrella Academy as well, but obviously not related to this universe. Yeah, in general, these this is a really, to your point, Brent, I think what you're making is like, sooner or later, people that actually use this as their main power set or they use it as part of their daily lives, they're going to become villains at some capacity because sooner or later... They're human. I think emotions, needs, desires will activate a bad part or a bad response. And then they'll get used to that kind of power and control, which we also find out a little bit more about um, later for, for empath. Yeah, thinking, uh, yeah, you were just brought up um, Star Fox. Oh, well, we can go that back into that quickly after the next section, which is the empath and magma section, which seems to be a level of I mean, after his, we just talked about his comeuppance issue where he gets beaten up by everybody. Um, What becomes of him, which is somewhat of a changed character at the same time going through the exact same situations. All right. So this New Mutants 56 and 62. So New Mutants 56 is uh, Chris Claremont. And then in 62 um, is Louise Simonson. And she started in, I believe, issue 60. So this is his last hurrah with impact. We start with New Mutants Moonstar, um, who has her, wait. Oh yeah, so we start with New Mutants with Moonstar having her own sudden consent issues and pulling a physical manifestation of Magma's attraction to empath out of the poor girl's head. Magma tells her she should die in a car park and be sent to hell where Jesus will be waiting. (laughs) She runs to her weird bedroom where the bed is like a psychologist's office couch and it's in the center of the room with a Marvel, Marvel bust 
and an ancient vase and Roman numerals clocks because magma is an ancient Roman, you see, but lived in the Amazon, <laughs> clearly. She weirdly holds a picture of empath and jet stream and thinks about how she's a stuck up Southern European aristocrat also, and she likes luxury. I shame my friends and, fr and family by even considering a liaison with them, she says. And with that line, I now realize I've shamed my friends and family <laughs> on multiple occasions. Meanwhile, the Hellions mock Empath for his interest in magma. Empath um, appears and threatens Empath to bring the creature bird brain to her. And it's a little seduction-y. And the two teams deal over the dumb fucking bird character destined to be the cause of Doug Ramsey's death. Yeah. With bird brain down, Warpath, having captured Moonstar, tells Empath to control Magma. He compels her to love him, but she already does love him, so he can't control her. She says she won't back down or betray her team, even for him, so Empath uses powers on Warpath and stops the fight. Magma's thankful, and then Taro, having mocked Empath the entire time but his Magma love, and then he kept weirdly controlling her all the time, tells her it was part of Emma's plan to subtly use his abilities on the new mutants. And then Magma joins the Hellions. So that is the last issue of Empath on the, um, on the, Empath on the, Chris Claremont on Empath and the Hellions, which um, is interesting that there is a level of him trying to make it seem like Empath might be become a better person through Magma, but, you know, not really going there because he tells Taro he was just being a dick in the first place. Brent, you had a hand before I do the last part of this? Uh, I just want to talk about Magma's bedroom. <laughs> yeah, please. It's very important. Yeah. It's just that, okay, real quick. Okay, Magma's bedroom. It's supposed to be like Nova Roma. Like, oh, uh -huh. this is to remind you and comfort you with home. <laughs> Obviously, you guys had clocks in Nova Roma. <laughs> but also, it'd be like, okay, I'm from Georgia. If my home, my bedroom was decorated with like, a pile peaches. of hay and a bunch <laughs> of peaches and then there's a bowl of wet peanuts uh and stacy abrams it would just be a very <laughs> odd bedroom anyways Why go not? on all right so 62 louise simonson is here and she's trying to remove some of the consent issues so um empath and the hellions spar and empath tries to use his powers once again to make magma love them but she breaks free because she already does Tara mocks him per Taro mocks him per usual, saying he respects Magma too much to really control her, which is a real thing that rapists do. When they find a woman they love, they won't try to control them because they wanted to rape and control everybody else. Yeah. Emma appears with a letter for Magma and then has another mildly seductive talk with Empath, congratulating him on his subtle use of his powers. He doesn't realize he's been using them in that manner. Emma sends her him to go with Magma to Nova Roma, which is her town in the Amazon. Magma's pissed at his treatment of Taro, and, admit, and he admits it's easier to make people hate him than love him. Flying to Brazil, the lightning hits their plane and they crash. Empath rescues her as it explodes. Suck in the jungle, they have a bunch of arguments, and he tells her he's able to feel emotions for him, which makes him uncomfortable. Next day, he comes across an orchid that he wants to give to Magma because he says he's Tarzan to her Jane. And she gets attacked by the jaguar that is actually attacking him. And she doesn't want to be rescued, it turns out, because she's going to have to get married to some dude because her father's making her. So they're just going to stay out in the jungle for the rest of the time, I guess she wants to do. So Empath basically <laughs> controls her to make her create a, an earthquake to bring everyone there. 
So he stops and then she gets mad, but then she turns around and kisses him. Then he freaks out because he's not sure whether she kissed him because she wanted to or because he was subtly influencing her, as you were talking about with Star Fox, to make her want to. Anyways, her father comes and rescues them. So questions, what do you make of this empath magma relationship slash non-relationship, Kaylin? Well, clearly magma like has a trend of the kind of men she's into because later on we find out she mm -hmm. dates Mephisto in another uh, uh, incarnation, another iteration of the New Mutants. But I, I don't know if I, I don't know. I'm always kind of like, I've never loved magma as a character that much to begin with. No. And I just don't, I don't know if I buy the relationship. And I do like though that Empath has to ask, did she do this of her own volition or am I subtly manipulating her? I think that is an interesting question um, that I don't know necessarily deserves a resolution. And it kind of goes into what your next question will be, but I'll hold off on answering that. Brent? Um, yeah, do you think that that's, like, I think that's an interesting question. Do you think that the way that this framed during this time period is set up well enough to kind of deal with the fact that we are so many layers deep into empath being an asshole. There are so many other issues that his emotional issues are creating. Like he is in, still intentionally uh, causing her to do things that I don't feel like there's enough of that balance here when you know, he's like worried about, you know, I don't know if I made her fall in love with me. Like there's something that's still inherently so narcissistic and unsubtle about the way it tries to frame this. I worry that it's a, it's a weak attempt at kind of filling out the character further. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think, I think it falls mostly on eighties and nineties, uh, which were a relatively problematic error of looking back and being like, you know, we were even just talking on our just normal chat, Kaylin, about like friends, right? Like there's always all these things when you look back and especially when there's like characters or villains that need to be humanized, you're like, yeah, but they still did this. Or like, is that really worth it on a character like that? Yeah. And I think that's kind of a sequence of this. I ended up, again, knowing only empath from the hell, like the recent Dawn of X Hellions. I like the character a lot more, I think, before I saw all the shitty, shitty, shitty stuff that they did as a normal human being. Not like, you know, it's always easier to toss away murder and stuff like that, because I think it's these like real life social issues. And then also giving characters that are the perpetrators of these things, uh, giving them kind of like not free passes, but sort of remediation. And this is true of even like someone like, uh, uh, I would say Negan, Negan, from um, Walking Dead. Walking like, Dead. At some point, people have to be irredeemable. And it's weird that we sometimes allow our villains to turn anti-heroes to turn potential heroes. And I think it's it all depends on what people's thresholds are for, right? Like most people would take start at the, the killing of an animal. So Buttercup could turn Emma Frost Run. irredeemable for some people. And so I think there's like, there's certain weights there. But I, for me, this is a very much stopping point. I'm frustrated to see so much of his character development quote unquote being stuck around kind of having this like well as you know basically fucking around with women or like partners and then having to like work through that that to me isn't really good character development just kind of calls out that like this person never had a moral center to begin with and they shouldn't be valued uh unless they've done something to redeem themselves for all this bad behavior Brett. 
Yeah, well, uh, very quick to that. Uh, Emma Frost, you know, has this moment where she's encouraging him to be subtle and to use his power in even more complicated and nuanced ways. So, like, does she hold some responsibility for his behavior, you know, as his character develops in the future? I don't know. Kayla? So, um, I talked to a few y'all about this off podcast, but I finally watched uh, Promising Young Woman, which is uh, one of the Oscar picks, which I describe as kind of like, without getting into spoilers, kind of like a hashtag me to kill Bill in some ways. Um, and what I liked about it so much is, you know, there are clearly male characters who said, well, I did that in my past. That's not who I am anymore. I was stupid when I was a kid and it doesn't let them off the hook. And so I like that, like, you know, like, like to your point, Adam, there are certain things you've done, even if you have done good in your life, you are still irredeemable because right. you did this before. Uh, I think it's okay to have characters like that. I don't think characters need, every character needs a redemption arc. Uh, and sometimes it feels a little false when they do, which will, I think mean, we'll get into Clark's next question. Yeah, um, so number one, why did a female writer do this? But why did the new New Mutants writer, Louise Simonson, choose to give Empath this characterization and this, you know, as we as we were talking about, quasi-redemptive moments if she was just going to send the character off to never use? And yeah, Kaylin. I, I, think you, I think that's the answer to the question. I think she wanted to say, okay, we've, he, this is the narrative end I want for this character and I don't want to use him again because I am a woman and I, I yeah. we haven't I mean we don't know Louise we've never talked to her about this I'm you know I'm just like you know uh guessing what um what she's thinking but you know it's like this is a icky character and I don't want to deal with this stuff in this book as I'm writing it and so I'm just gonna like send them off into the sunset with magma uh, you know, and say, okay, he's good now or whatever. And then like, I don't have to deal with this, like, you know, fucking rapist ass ever again. Um, uh, so, uh, sacrifices some poor woman to, to have to be with this, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe, and maybe she didn't like magma either. So, you know, more respect well, for magma, Louise as after you that. Said, wasn't, isn't really the new mutant that anyone loves the best. Yeah. I did appreciate, because I know that really I was only really introduced to Magma when we started reading at the beginning of our podcast, Res the Resurrection titles. I know Magma showed up, we talked about uh, her then. And I will say that, yeah, she just wasn't very interesting. And she seemed, <laughs> uh, the character was kind of almost like not wishy-washy, but it all it all felt a little bit like, uh, like I was saying before, not not even friends, like Saved by the Bell esque, where it's like a lot. I mean, I get it. It's teenagers. It's the '80s. They're writing this stuff. Like a lot of these kind of shows are dealing in the same way of how they treat, like especially sh like male female relationships. Um, but the whole thing to me, I was just like, yeah, I'm not buying it, and I don't think either of these characters really require that much time and energy because neither of them have really shown enough uh, three dimensional uh character to make them worth caring about right it mm -hmm. seemed like magma had a lot of things that a lot of uh story or narrative choices being done to her versus like i couldn't tell you how a magma could respond to other situations the story didn't force her into kind of idea whereas like reading new mutants i'm like okay you get danny's leadership qualities you get cannonball and sunspot's relationship you get magic as this more sort of like i'll do whatever the fuck i want type of person and i think Again, we only read a subset, so I'm sure if I read more, I might get more. But considering Magma's 
life seems so entwined with empaths, at least within these issues that we read. I'm just surprised that there wasn't more from both of them in terms of the issues that are about them having more heart. Like, I mean, it was very like she's literally like, I'm an Amazon, but also I lived in Roma and also come on, let's stay out here. Like it was just a little like I'm also scared of flying. Like it just doesn't feel like <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like a lot of random things they just decided to give her that it was just sort of like, okay, cool. That doesn't really give me you as a voice, essentially. Kayla? So um, I've said this before, but like New Mutants, what made it interesting, even from the get-go, was it wasn't a carbon copy of the X-Men. It was Claremont's ability to try out some weird-ass shit that wouldn't normally work in the main book, even though X-Men definitely dealt with some weird shit, you know, throughout his run. Uh, you know, the Demon Bear saga, we've talked about a number of times. I mean, Warlock himself as a character, uh, the stuff with magic. Nova Roma was one of those ideas that I'm like, okay, that's an interesting idea. It just, it, it never, it never worked for me. I just <laughs> never liked it at all. But, we'll get into it more, I know, yeah. Clark, but like, it's, it's just not, it's like, that's, I think because of that, I just don't care about Magma as a character. She's not interesting enough and her backstory is just weird. Mm -hmm. um, I have one more question that was in a different section, but I want to use, um, we were just talking about the Magma empath relationship. The Emma and empath relationship is very interesting in that, I mean, he's clearly, if there's an X-Men, I mean, a, a new mutant, whatever, fuck, I'm doing it wrong. A Hellion at the time, that's more most like her at that point in time where she was still villainous, it is him. Right. The one she should be or might be the most proud of, because she's the one who kept saying, you should be doing this. Kind of like, you know, he's the one in charge to her. Um, but she also can't fucking stand him. He's clearly a liability. So what the hell's going on here between the two of them? And also there's all these weird parts where like, she's almost caressing his face. And then it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff going on. Um, Adam. I got a very like mother-son vibe. And basically it's always that same thing of like, you hate, in somebody what you hate about yourself kind of idea so i i think it made a lot of sense that she would be like this weird behind the scenes proud of this person while also being like you fucking asshole i can't stand you because i know what i used to be like when i was young kind of idea or like yeah i almost picture like sebastian shaw would be over and be like what are you talking about don't you remember when you were a teenager like it's just like a very like again very like 80s arena but i do, i think it makes a lot of sense although i would have liked to see them more connective as friends and her the subtlety thing was still very weird but I do think it was the step that made sense as a teacher and that made me start seeing the threads of Emma being this really protective student teacher type that we see in uh, obviously future I would say seasons but like runs of the of X-Men featuring Emma as a hero uh, I love I love the idea of uh Sebastian Shaw gossip girl <laughs> or did adam say your point oh yeah no he said my point um okay. just you hate you hate what you see like what you think is some of your worst qualities and when you see in somebody else you hate it even more all right so now suddenly we're gonna go from <laughs> that was 1988 now it's 1993 and this is gonna be half a second for four different issues because he isn't in much stuff for a very long time. <laughs> he is for a minute. All right, so New Warriors. So you know how all the Hellions were murdered by um, Fitzroy and Empath, I mean Empath, God, em Emma and Empath's names are too close. I fuck them up all the time. So Emma's in a coma, yes? Anyways, so in New Warriors 31, the Hellions are dead. Warpath, Firestar and Cannibal go to Nova Roma to tell Magma and Empath. 
Long story short, they get a cold and demented welcome, and it turns out an empath has been controlling everyone in Nova Roma. Supposedly, this is a huge retcon for Magma's history, because as Kaylin hates, uh, it, I guess, um, who, God, is this Fabian Nikizia? Is that his name? How do you pronounce yeah. it? Anyway, yeah. anyway, he's the one who writes this, and he also hated that backstory as well, it seems. So he's decided that these people aren't actually ancestors of Rome. They're just random tourists that Celine found <laughs> and controlled. And who knows? I guess Empath found this out because Celine's powers went out. I don't know. None of it makes sense. He knows it. And so now he's decided he has to take control of all Nova Roma because he doesn't want them to know that because he's lonely and he was so happy here. So it stops. Everyone freaks out at him. And then whatever. Everyone knows that she's now named something Cressmere, Amanda Cressmere. I don't fucking know. It's awful and stupid. And <laughs> the character is already dumb, but it's dumber now. Anyways, I didn't have you read this, but very quickly, Empath shows up for like six seconds in Claremont's Extreme X-Men because Claremont wanted to make that retcon go away. <laughs> and so suddenly none of that ever happened. And so like, what, what did Empath do then? What did Empath think Dude, was he just wrong, but right, but incorrect? Like, the whole thing was fucking dumb, and it makes everything that happened in that issue stupid. Caleb? I can just see uh, Brent's head exploding right now, saying, fuck you, comics. I don't want to ever read a comic book again, ever. Well, I, what I was actually thinking was, uh, this is as convoluted and stupid as the actual plot of Westworld. Uh, <laughs> let alone Rome world. <laughs> How? Did, what is like the quickest summary of the retcon? Like, what did they say? That, I just, I just, that, that, nothing. They literally said that was a lie, and that was it. <laughs> oh my god! Like it, he actually that works. Go through yeah, with it. It, it kind of does. You know, Impact like, would make up this ridiculous lie and just see if he could get people to believe he tri- it. He like triple emoted. Yeah, he incepted <laughs> everyone. He's like, no, 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 you're this, but now I'm holding you to this. That actually does I, make a little- But he's basically, time. he wouldn't be saying, I want you guys to get mad at me so I can be alone forever. I do like that about him being an unreliable narrator, a la the Joker in Dark Knight, of like him just giving different origins of his backstory. It's like, no, 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 no. That was actually a lie. Here's the real truth. Here's I, actually, I, I want to be alone forever. Kayla, you have to remember Nova Roma is the people. It's the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So anyways, at the same issue, this asshole, like psychic dude, whoever, who cares? This guy named Elias Bogan, who doesn't matter. We're never going to see him again. Forces empath to make Magma and Sunspot kiss while he watches crying. And that's all in one page. And that's all we see of him that entire time. So then we don't see him again until the, uh, the 192, number two. The 198? <laughs> no, it's the 192, number eight. <laughs> Anyways, read something that's a certain number of numbers, everyone. We'll be putting all of these issues in our description on the podcast so you can No, I'm not going to give any of these. You have to fuck your, figure it out for yourself. Uh, we will give the descriptions, but we will misnumber them. So. 198 number. <laughs> Two. All right. After Magma's boyfriend dies after he loses his powers during M-Day, she mutilates a bunch of people and burns down a town. 
Empath is sent out to Controller. He calms down the local militia and uses his powers as a Xanax to calm down Magma. And he's very clinical in his abilities. And then uh, in... No, got in, Got two quick ones. In Uncanny 503, Madeline Pryor is controlling Empath into running a weird sexual anti-muty cult. <laughs> he goes up against the X-Men in San Francisco and does pretty well against the big guns, saying such lovely things as your mother sucks cocks in hell until Pixie stabs <laughs> him in the brain with his psychic knife. And then finally, Hellions number one, which, you know, everyone read. We're in 2020, folks. And Empath is having the original Hellions assault each other. And then we get a nice psychoanalyst page where we find out Empath got his powers as an unusually young, at an unusually young age, that his empathic powers turned him into an unfeeling sociopath, which if we ignored everything from 1998 on, makes no sense <laughs> because, you know, he cries multiple times in the last five times we've seen him. All right, questions. Empath has used his powers in multiple ways, including, you know, the pink eye compulsion we had to deal with until 88, um, this body chemistry thing in 198, and the whole dead daddy thing in Uncanny 503. <laughs> What's your favorite way he controls people? And is this a valid ev evolution of his powers, or is this just the writer being like, I want to show it this way? Everyone sit in uh, silence until. Well, I, wow. I think it's. I think it's the latter. I mean, I think the I think he's his powers are so amorphous that whichever writer like is writing him at the time wants to like kind of do it this way. I don't think there's like a, a natural evolution. He's not enough of a main character to really see like a, a through line from appearance to appearance. Now, is there of the three? Is there like a more dynamic one to you? Uh, Wait, do you want to say how say them again? Because I didn't honestly oh, yes. notice that big right. of a difference. Okay, the first one is his pink eye compulsion, as I called it, where he's basically saying, you love me, you love me, you love me, you know, bite my ass or whatever. The second one was the body chemistry one, as I called it, where he's basically saying, I'm using your neurons and I'm using your this and your that to make your brain do this and like chemical imbalancing doodly do. The second was basically he just screamed dead daddy, dead, dead daddy. daddy, dead daddy at Pixie a couple times. So those are I, different versions. I, One, I, literally uh, a woman just screams, God, um, I forgot. And so he's basically saying all the stuff that traumatizes each of the people. Right. And this is uh, Uncanny 503. And then just randomly some woman screams AIDS. Yeah, I saw that. I did, <laughs> like, I did want to call that out. I was like, oh. if I If I can square the circle, um, I think that the way you could possibly think about unifying these is that he is, the difference between what he does and what any telepath does is that he actually is affecting body chemistry and that part of the process, you know, in him learning about his ability is knowing which chemicals he's actually adjusting and moving in what way, but also that he recognizes, you know, from practice that by saying particular things that might be more hurtful, by helping remind people uh, orally of you know, past moments that he can actually magnify the effect of his powers, that there is some cohesion there. But obviously no one has really mapped out what this character is well enough for there to be rules to it. Well, and I was gonna say, Kaylin, I, your, your Joker analogy, I think works perfectly here, which is like, I kind of like if he's constantly fucking with how and why his powers work for people and what he does <laughs> to get them to work. I myself enjoy the second one the most because I remember when I read the one uh, 198, 
I was I was happy to get more development of how the powers work and why they would. And I think it's cool that they are justified in a scientific context as opposed to just like a mental, which I know we have a lot of telepaths and a lot of this and that. Um, although I guess if you were to take it as a scientific one, you'd say that doesn't, it actually works the least when it comes to his inability to like affect uh, a lot of the telepaths many times and things like that. So yeah. it leads me to believe it's much more mentally based, but maybe by, you know, what he's doing with people's minds is actually obviously adjusting their body chemistry afterwards. Maybe that's that subtlety effect, which I, I like, I'm reading into this too much. I like the scientific idea more. Um, but I think it does make more sense that it's more of a mental play than anything else. There's one part. This is, uh, I think, 62 we were talking about where he mentioned, you know, he knows like what people's feelings are and Magma says, but you don't know why those feelings are. And that goes up against the fact that he wouldn't know the whole body chemistry shit if that was the case. Like, right. is, is he, you know, is he doing this based literally on emotion, which is, you know, not a tangible thing or these like, you know, you know, make this neuron do this, which is literally like, you know, physical moments, physical work to actually make the body chemistry happen. So I think those two definitely either don't jive with each other or, but that's why I mentioned the evolution. I don't know if that, you know, that change makes any sense. Brent. So other than the, um, the problem of like, historically, has he been always consistent about where his powers do? I think there's another problem with the way that um, Hellions has characterized him as kind of a sociopath. And, yeah. you know, they, they pose it as a question, which I like of, you know, whether or not your personality drives the way you use your powers or your powers drives your personality. And the thing that I kind of find a problem with it is that it seems to have settled on him being a sociopath. Is it, it's because of his powers. It makes it seem like that's an inexorable feature of his personality like there are tons of people who um who learn to lie and they're pat they become pathological liars and they learn to manipulate people's emotions and they do it as like a defense mechanism and it's something that they can recognize in themselves and then fix and adjust and the way it's set up here um i think flattens his character a little bit by making it seem like well, he was just, you know, you know, he's kind of made into this person and he's not, it's not clear how responsible he is for what he's doing. How could, how could he be any other way? Uh, Adam. Well, the only thing I would say, and I think it, to your, I agree with you and it's actually kind of making me rethink my one. I mean, actually he probably does. Again, I think he thinks of himself as this tragic woe is me figure of like, oh, I, if only I could, I get to hear and feel all these people, but if only I could connect better and be different. And you're right, it's like, it's like, you can. I think what they've kind of done to help explain that away certainly is describing his like early act activation. Cause it's that kind of thing of like, you know, when they have, I think of like Red Sun where it's like Superman raised in uh, Russia, you know, Russia years ago, or just like when anyone is taken in and raised as this like, xyz being and and it didn't seem like he ever had anybody he had everybody bending to his whim and no one was able to coach or train him which it should have been emma and it wasn't so i think like we were talking about before it is emma's fault in some capacity because he was still young enough back then but i think they've tried to explain that away by like if you're not if you don't have a 
great like child life and you don't find mentorship and you don't find other things, it's going to be that much harder to get over the hump. But I would agree with you that at some point, yeah, you have to take some responsibility and change and try to seek out help. And I don't think he's ever really done that uh, because well, he really had to. Well, that's what I was, one of the questions was um, that, you know, the little infographic and analysts notebook thing that we were just talking about, you know, that talks about his empath empathic powers and it becomes an unfeeling sociopath doesn't quite work with everything we've seen since 62 down. Right. And it, so Zeb Wells writes his fucking character exactly perfectly with how Claremont wrote him. And then the other ones don't exist in this characterization, basically, especially in, including this analyst notebook thing, because we've seen Empath differently. He's still a shithead and narcissistic as fuck, but we have seen him have breakdowns quite a few times. And he's not completely, you know, complete yeah. sociopath there. And did mention the fact that, he, as you said, he, he does, you know, as he said, like use people, he wants people to hate him because it's easier than making, having people love him, defense mechanism, tragic woe is me stuff. I, I want to add that, uh, you know, I don't think that, I, I don't hate his characterization in Hellions and I don't think that he has to, you know, make a change or, you know, have some sort of redemptive, uh, redemptive arc. But I do think it's pretty telling that what we've seen from him in Hellions is that he is more of a punchline than actually a fully developed character, that his relationship only exists because it acts as a foil for some of the other characters. And, you know, really he can sit on the sidelines and, you know, mix up the balance of the team. But I don't think that he's got as much, you know, development, as I was saying. Uh, Kaylin? Oh, Adam was first. Sorry. I, I was just going to quickly say on the flip side, after reading 198 and Magma killing all those people, I feel less like I'm just like, fuck both of them. They're terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Get together, you pieces of shit. Right. And off the screen. That's what I mean. That's what Louis Simonson said. So just ship them both away again. Kaylin. Well, uh, to Brent's point, I, I do think that that's something we're going to see probably in the near future uh, in issues of Hellions because he has been sort of like a foil more than anything else. And, and to your point, a punch, a punchline. I, but I do think like what Wells is doing, because his characterization overall is just spot on. He's focusing on different characters and different arcs. He's given Grey Crow a bunch of characterization because that's the character that's going through a lot of, uh, going through his own redemptive arc right now. He focused on Havoc early on. Uh, he's definitely doing a lot with, with Quanon slash Psylocke. Uh, and like, you know, Nanny, Orphan Maker and all that. So like, I think in the next, I would say four to five issues, we're going to see more about Empath. And I mean, there is a reason why he picked this character in this book. Yeah, I firmly believe that. Was why do you think he chose this character in this book? Uh, well, I think uh, one, he wanted, you know, to have a through line between the original Hellions and this current incarnation of the Hellions. And if you think about like, who's like from, from the original cast, um, you know, James Proudstar has been a new mutant, uh, been part of Weapon X, he's been part of X-Force, like he's been one of the X-Men, like he's, like he is, you know, fully like on the side of the angels. Um, Cat's Eye is too weird a character uh, and too one note in that weirdness to do anything I think really substantive with. Sorry, Clark, I know you love her, uh, but- No, it's fine, no, I agree. I, I, uh, Jetstream, yeah, Jetstream's boring, Roulette's kind of whatever, 
um, you know, and then that's basically all the Hellions. Empath is the yeah. one that's, I think, the most interesting, even though he is, uh, in, in my eyes, an irredeemable, in, irredeemable piece of shit. But like, you can do a lot with characters like that. That's why he picked them. I mean, I, I did, th that's why I asked earlier, like, who, who are the, is there any other dynamic character besides Empath in the Hellions? And then, you know, I kind I of know. alluded to Warpath, obviously, but I mean, it was a requirement. He had to be used because you couldn't use anybody else, as you said. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I did, the reason I chose to do this Class X when we did is because next issue, seemingly based on solicitations, going to be a lot of his backstory. And it probably ends up being one page of backstory, but hell, whatever, who cares? That's about as much as he gets in a normal issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Brent? Oh, no, another thing I want to say is that rereading this makes me upset that, once again, the empath and Madeline Pryor never got to interact. Because it, there was four issues of them interacting in Uncanny. I just chose one of them. Is this the, just for uh, timing-wise, is this the lead into the Necrotia arc, or is that something else? Because I was like... No, this is, the Uncanny 503 is right when they move to Utopia, you know, asteroid m crashed down oh, okay. and make an island off of san francisco oh so she's just back for like a ray i forgot who I, I forgot Celine like did. a ghost version kind of fucked up shit but anyways she controls him to being some weird sex cult muty anti-muty nonsense okay yeah that seemed less interesting but the bike chase was great <laughs> yeah oh, yeah 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 <laughs> dead daddy dead daddy <laughs> all right so anyone else anything else to say we're wrapping up now what have we learned today anybody um, I've learned uh, that you shouldn't decorate your apartment like the place you were born, <laughs> and that deep V-necks, deep V-necks, have always been in style. I've learned that if you're gonna make a purple and magenta costume, maybe make the purple the heaviest part of the costume instead of the magenta because it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've learned that even though it's a trend to make Marvel or excuse me, X-Men villains have a redemptive arc, not all of them deserve it or need it. And um, we didn't need one for, for empath. Snaps. I, I learned that from moment to moment, your hair color and hairstyle will change <laughs> fucking immediately. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I love the uh, Hellions uh, empath who has super wide eyes. They're so far away from his nose. Uh, well, he's got to make all that me. purple stuff happen in his eyes. Pink stuff. Yes, of course. All right. Uh, well, that's been our uh, Class X on uh, Who Has Empath. You can find us on Twitter <laughs> at Homo Superior X, Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. And you can catch all of our regular episodes every Friday wherever podcasts are found. You're listening to us, so you know. Thanks for listening. Class dismissed. <laughs>